We're glad you're here tonight. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 19 and 20. And as we begin our study tonight, we again thank you for being here. We're glad that you've chosen to come back tonight. We hope and pray that our service together tonight will be beneficial to you and that we can glorify God together in our worship. We're grateful for the prayer that was offered, the opportunity to sing, and now to study from God's Word. In our study tonight, we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 19. We're looking at key chapters in Scripture. And the beauty of Scripture is every single chapter and every book fits neatly together. When we looked at the book of Exodus earlier, last week, we talked about the instructions given concerning the Passover and the fact that God was going to bring the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Well, God did that, and they were able to come forth in a very great way, some two million people. It's amazing to think that back in the book of Genesis, when the children of Israel migrated to Goshen, you had about 70 people, and from that they grew into a multitude, a mighty nation of people. So about two million people made their way out of Egyptian bondage. So as we come to chapter 19, God now emphasizes the special relationship that Israel will enjoy with Him. And this really serves as a prelude or backdrop to the relationship that we as God's people today enjoy with Him. So I want us to think about what Moses records in chapter 19. Now, the children of Israel, they've made their way to the desert of Sinai. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 that Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. First, I want to talk about the covenant that God made with Israel, and then we'll look at the commands that He gave them. In verse 5, God's going to emphasize some prerequisites to their relationship to Him. He's reminded them of their deliverance, how He bore them on eagle's wings and brought them unto Himself. And what a great feat that was, and no doubt that demonstrated the power of Almighty God. And so now in verse 5, God has already set forth in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promised seed. In order to bring the promised seed to fruition, He needed a nation, a nation of people to accomplish that. And so in chapter 12 of Genesis, He called on a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham would become the father of the Hebrew nation. And God had said to Abraham that through his seed, all nations, all families of the earth would be blessed. And so you look at that seed line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob then had 12 sons. The Christ, of course, would emerge out of the tribe of Judah. And so we get down to the book of Exodus chapter 19. God's people are now camped in the desert of Sinai. Moses is going to receive the law on Mount Sinai. But God said to the children of Israel, or to Moses, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. There were some demands imposed upon the children of Israel 
in the context of their relationship. And God said that His relationship with them was conditional. In other words, it was predicated on their willingness to be submissive to His commands. God wanted to be their king. As a matter of fact, God was their king, wasn't He? The nation of Israel being a theocracy. Sadly, as time went by, they rejected God as being their king, and they wanted a king like the nations around them. I want to just pause here for a moment and talk about the relationship that we enjoy with Christ. Just as God entered into a covenant relationship with ancient Israel, when we obey the gospel of Christ, we enter into a relationship with the Lord, don't we? Paul said, for example, in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, that we are married to Christ. When you get married, there are certain obligations that come with that relationship, one of which is faithfulness. Well, by the same token, when we become children of God, God expects or demands what? Faithfulness. Didn't Jesus say in the long ago, if you love me, keep my commandments? And so we do that out of our love and respect for God. But now note, if you would, what He says. If you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. God set apart the children of Israel for the purpose of bringing the Christ into the world, didn't He? And that came at a great cost. They were His special treasure. In other words, they were His own possession. Is that not what we become as members of the body of Christ? Wasn't it Peter who said that we are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? And then listen to what he said, a people for God's own possession. We belong to Him. And what God was saying to Moses is, you are my special treasure. I have lavished my love and grace upon you. As a matter of fact, turn with me very quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want you to see something in the context of this relationship. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God talks about the fact that they would ultimately go into the land of Canaan, the promised land. They were not to make alliances with those pagan people. But note if you would down in verse 6, God said, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now one of the reasons that God didn't want them intermarrying and making alliances with foreign people was because His intent was to bring the Christ into the world. And, as you well know, those pagan alliances would lead them astray. And so God warned them in a very strong way. But He said, you're going to be my special treasure above all people. And then He said, for all the earth is mine. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, everything belongs to God, doesn't it? You know the psalmist said in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to Almighty God. And so God was setting apart the nation of Israel. They had a divine purpose. Now look at verse 6, if you would. In verse 6, God said, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Now, we talk about types and shadows. The kingdom of Israel, the first king was, as you well know, Saul. 
Saul was removed and then replaced by David. And then David was followed by his son Solomon. Following the demise of Solomon, the kingdom divided. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom headed up by Jeroboam, the southern kingdom by Rehoboam. And that was a travesty to say the least. The southern kingdom ultimately spared after going into Babylonian captivity for the purpose again of bringing the Christ into the world. But when God set the children of Israel apart to be a kingdom, what God was saying is, I'm going to be the one that reigns or rules over you. This was a physical kingdom. A kingdom physical in stature. Now, God would later talk about bringing another kingdom into this world that would be spiritual in nature. For example, you remember over in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want you to look at this verse in connection with the spiritual kingdom that God promised to establish. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said down in verse 12, talking to David, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. And then here's what he said. And I will establish his kingdom. Now we talk about the nation of Israel and that kingdom. It was a physical kingdom. This, however, would be a spiritual kingdom. They had had men who occupied the throne. And you can read about those various kings going back and looking through the Old Testament. But God was going to establish a kingdom, and Jesus would be the one who would occupy His throne. It would be the throne of David. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, He said, I will establish His kingdom. And then He said, He shall build a house, listen to Him, for My name. And I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. What kind of kingdom is he talking about? He's talking about a spiritual kingdom, isn't he? Daniel, some years later, Daniel would prophesy about this coming kingdom. And Daniel would say in chapter 2, verse 44, that the days are coming when the God of heaven would set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. That's the same kingdom that God's talking about here and establishing. So God to Moses is saying, look, You're going to be to me a kingdom of priests. And of course, the tribe of Levi became that priestly tribe. But then the backdrop to the New Testament again, we are a nation, a holy nation of God. We are God's chosen people. We are the Israel of God, and we are a kingdom of priests. And we'll talk about that in just a moment or two. So you come over to the New Testament, and you remember John the Baptist when he began his earthly ministry, what was he talking about? Repentance, why? Because he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus also preached that same message. And then John in the Revelation talks about how God has made us a kingdom and priest. And so in Exodus chapter 19, when God talks about establishing His covenant with the children of Israel and how they would be to Him a kingdom, Well, they were a great kingdom, weren't they? Did they accomplish their chosen purpose? Yes, they did. 
God's nation today, God's special people today, is whom? It's not fleshly Jews, but rather it is the church, the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. And so God said again, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let me just pause here for a moment and talk about the priesthood. You know that under the Old Covenant, there were certain duties that they had to fulfill on a regular basis, on a daily basis. When you come over to the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us that we are built up a holy priesthood. That we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Those Old Testament priests, they operated under the authority of Almighty God. They offered up sacrifices. You and I today as children of God, people who belong to the church of Christ, those of us who are part of the family of God, we are said to be priests of the Most High God, aren't we? And the Hebrew writer said that we offer up spiritual sacrifices, one of which is the fruit of our lips. When do we do that? When we worship God. And then also I think about in Romans chapter 12, when the Apostle Paul said that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. He said, which is your reasonable service. And so as you look at Exodus chapter 19 and you think about the implications that this had to the nation of Israel, you come over to the New Testament and again you have a kingdom. That kingdom is God's church, God's house. Those who become members of that body, they are His own special people. They belong to Him. We are, well, to borrow the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 6, we are, the, we are the Israel of God. And with that special relationship comes responsibilities. Now note if you would, God said, These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. In verse 7 the Bible says that Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord commanded him. And then listen to what the people said. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now let me ask this question. In order for them to prosper and grow as a nation and to be what God would have them to be, there were certain responsibilities imposed upon the parents, weren't they? In other words, if they're going to fulfill the will of God and carry out His commands, it's going to be done by teaching where? In the home. So note if you would, turn over to Deuteronomy again. Note, for example, what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The children of Israel had grave responsibilities placed upon them. They are this holy nation of people. They've been set apart by Almighty God. They're not to develop foreign alliances. They're not to develop foreign relationships. They are God's own special treasure of people. And so God, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, talks about their responsibilities, their prosperity, and their perpetuity in the land. 
So note if you would in Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's what God said. This is a commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments with the, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now we talked about the fact that the relationship they enjoyed was predicated on their willingness to obey His commands. Their prosperity and perpetuity in the land again attached to their willingness to, obe to be obedient to Him. So in verse 4, here's what God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Then he says in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. God's saying, in order for the nation to prosper, parents had a responsibility. They had to pass on the faith, didn't they? As children of God today, the Christian religion is propagated by doing what? Teaching and preaching, isn't it? So we have the responsibility as parents in passing on the faith, in instructing our children, letting them know that God has established a kingdom, that we can be His special people, that His kingdom, His nation, His people are distinct and different from those around us. One of the real problems in the church today is the fact that there's been a breakdown in teaching. Many homes are crumbling. They're not what they ought to be because there hasn't been the kind of teaching that needs to be taking place. The children of Israel, they had the formula for success, didn't they? In Exodus chapter 19, God is setting before them the tremendous relationship that they would enjoy with Him. I mean, these were God's special people, His chosen people. Those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we are His chosen nation of people. We are a distinctive nation of people. If the church is going to grow and be a light in this world, then we've got to continue preaching and teaching and passing on the faith, don't we? Just as Lois and Eunice did with Timothy in the long ago. Instilling in our children a love for God and a respect for His divine Word. And so God here is setting forth the template for success, if you please. Unfortunately, the children of Israel on many occasions refused to listen to God's template for success. Turn very quickly with me, if you would, to the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a book that traces the erratic relationship that Israel enjoyed with God in heaven. In Judges chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel were faithful during the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, verse 7, who had seen all the great works which the Lord had done for Israel. And then the Bible says down in verse 10 that 
another generation came on the scene who did not know the Lord nor the work which He had done for Israel. Now let me ask this question. How did that happen? God had said to the children of Israel, He had said to Moses at Sinai, I'm going to enter into a covenant relationship with you. You've got to be obedient to my command. You are a very special nation of people. And yet, time and again, they ignored the law of God. They failed to teach and instruct and pass along the faith. And so note, if you would, verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. This happened time and again to the children of Israel. And sadly, there was no reason for that. Now, having said that, go back again and look at Exodus chapter 19. The people in the long ago acknowledged the fact that they're going to be obedient to the will of God. So in chapter 20, we have the commands given to the children of Israel. And God is going to set forth the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. And the revelation of this law, the source of that revelation, is Almighty God. Note, if you would, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. God was giving a law to the children of Israel. That law pertained to their relationship twofold. Number one, it had to do with their relationship to God. And secondly, it had to do with their relationship to one another. But God was the source of this divine law. There are folks today that don't like the idea of any kind of law, and yet the Bible tells us the dispensation under which we now live, which the Hebrew writer said is a better covenant, founded upon better promises, it entails the last will and testament of the Lord. It was established, it was inaugurated by the blood of Jesus. His last will and testament. It's called the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. And James said in James chapter 4, verse 12, there is one lawgiver and judge. That would be the Lord. So they received the law. And then the regulations regarding the law that God gave them. He begins by pointing out that they are to have no other gods before Him. One of the real problems, as you know, with the children of Israel, they got tied up in idolatry, didn't they? I mean, not far removed from what we're talking about right now. Moses is on the mountaintop, and Aaron and the children of Israel, what do they do? They make a golden calf. I mentioned Jer Jeroboam. Jeroboam set up two places of worship, one in Dan, one in Bethel, and made two golden calves and led the children of Israel astray, the northern kingdom. And so God is saying to the children of Israel, you need to be very careful with regard to your relationship to myself. Now I want, to, I want you to look at one thing very quickly before our time's gone. Drop down, note if you would, verse 8. In verse 8, God said, remember, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. He said, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. He said, in it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, 
your manservant, your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And by the way, that would be six literal days God made the heavens and the earth. The point I want to press very quickly. We're not under the Sabbath today. We're not under the Ten Commandments today. God gave the law exclusively to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. But we are under law. And we do have a day set aside for the purpose of worshiping and glorifying God. It's called the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Do you know why God gave the Sabbath to the children of Israel? He gave it to them for the purpose of setting aside a day in the week where they could take their mind off of carnal material things and focus on spiritual things. That was the purpose of the Sabbath. To cause the children of Israel to set aside some time to think on spiritual things. Now today, as I said a moment ago, that old law has been nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. We're not under the Ten Commandments. We don't observe the Sabbath day. But God has set aside the first day of the week for the purpose of worshiping and glorifying Him. That being said, in our increasingly secular world, more and more people are focusing more time, more attention on the things that are worldly in nature rather than that which is spiritual in nature. And here's my question. Has it impacted the church of Christ? It has. We have allowed the world, in many respects, to come between us and worshiping and serving God on a regular basis. I understand the demands of time. And God set aside a particular day in the week for the children of Israel to reflect upon spiritual things. And you can look at Amos chapter 8. In verse 5, one of the things the children of Israel, one of the things that they were indicted for, they wanted the Sabbath to hurry up and get over with. Why? So they could trade their wheat. In other words, so they could get back to business as usual. Has that happened in the church? Have we gotten to the point in the church that we put any and everything before the Lord's day? Look, I, I know that I'm getting older in this life. But when I was a boy in Chattanooga, we had recreational ball teams. We had, we had middle school, high school ball. We practiced through the week. We played games through the week. But we never, ever practiced or played games on the Lord's Day. Never. You drive by ball fields today, and what do you see? You see kids out there playing ball, they're playing soccer, they're playing baseball, they're doing this, they're doing that. What is the message that we're sending to our children? As members of the body of Christ, 
If we're allowing things like that to come between the spiritual growth of our children and those pursuits, what's that saying to them? It's saying this is more important. It really is. Got a test on Thursday morning. So we're going to stay home on Wednesday night and we're going to study. What we're saying is that history test, that math test, that science test is more important than learning about God. hundred years from now, it won't matter whether or not you fail a history test. But it will matter whether or not your child's faithful. It really will. The Old Testament was written for our example. The children of Israel... They were good at going through the mechanics, the rituals of religion. As we say sometimes, they were good at punching a time card. I'm afraid sometimes that we get in that same routine, don't we? Worship is important, but there are other things outside of worship that demand our time. Service in the kingdom. Being involved in the kingdom of God. I want to encourage us to think about the importance of the Lord's Day. It's a special day, first day of the week, affording us the opportunity to pause in the midst of our busy lives and think about spiritual things. As a parent, we have the responsibility of passing the faith on to our children. I want to encourage us as parents, number one, to seek first the kingdom, and number two, to encourage our children to seek first the kingdom in their lives. Our children, they watch us. If we're not not locked in, spiritually speaking, they'll know it. If we're not active in the body of Christ, they'll know it. If we're not regular in our Bible study, in our, look, they'll know it, won't they? Exodus chapter 20. Those commands regulated the heart and soul of the nation. The New Testament is to regulate the heart and soul of God's people. That's us. And everything you read in the New Testament, in many respects, is preemptive or prescriptive on how to live a blessed life and how to live a better life. The question is, will we listen? The children of Israel, they gave God homage by lip service. God's not interested in our lip service. He's interested in obedience. So my prayer for us is that we live for Him day in and day out. Exodus chapters 19 and 20, great chapters because God sets before the children, the children of Israel, His covenant, His commands, and ultimately their responsibilities. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the blessings of this life. 
We're grateful for your love and mercy and grace. We're thankful for your word. And Father, we pray that you would help us to live it to the best of our ability. Forgive us when we fall short. Help us to be better parents, better grandparents. Help us to be the kind of example that we ought to be. Help us to put you first in our daily lives. And Father, we ask that you would bless and be with each and every one of us. Help us to live to glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Repent of your sins as was commanded on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38. Confess the name of Christ and then be buried with Him in baptism so that your sins might be washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. The beauty of that is if you're faithful till death, one day God will bestow on you the Stephanos, the victor's crown. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, you need to be restored back to the Lord. Why not make your wants and wishes known as we stand and sing for your...